Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Chua Tian Tian with your Market View. Now let's take a look at the commercial property market in Asia today. According to the latest Asia Pacific Capital Trends report from MSCI Real Assets, inflationary pressures and a spike in borrowing costs have weighed on deal making in APEC in the third quarter of the year. The investment volume came out to be just 32.6 billion US dollars in Q3. Uh, this is a 38% drop from a year ago. And across major income producing property sectors, retail fed the worst with transaction volume dropping by over 54% on a yearly basis. And there were also signs of yields moving up for some sectors, for instance, the industrial sector in South Korea. Question is, as always, why is this the case? And uh, with countries like China doling out support to bolster its property sector and higher rates in major economies such as South Korea, what is the outlook for Asia's uh, or Apex commercial property market? Well, for more, let's speak to Benjamin Chow, Head of Asia Real Assets Research at MSCI. Hi, Benjamin, how are you? Hi, Tian Tian. Thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good today. Uh, great to have you on the show as always. Well, Ben, let's start with the bigger picture. We mentioned about the sluggish commercial real estate activity in APEC and how investment volume fell some 38% on year. But uh, what are the reasons behind the performance? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, 38% is not that bad an outcome. Uh, based on MSCI's current numbers, we might be headed for worse in the fourth quarter, but oh, stay okay. tuned. Time. <laughs> uh, but to go back to the original question, there are mm. you know four broad macroeconomic factors we're dealing with, uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse, lower GDP growth, which affects the values and income generating potential of real estate. Then secondly, we have the sharp spikes in interest rates uh, across uh, a number of major markets, which has translated into higher borrowing costs. Uh, thirdly, we have high inflation. Uh, not all real estate is inflation proof. It depends on the sector and the market and how landlord friendly the circumstances are. And then finally, we have higher uncertainty, which just basically makes people want to sit on the sides and wait around and see how things pan out before they commit to new investments. So all of these combined, what you get is we have less deals being done, but also the rate at which the circumstances are changing has led to some of the existing deals actually follow, uh, falling through, collapsing, including a number of high profile ones like the IFC deal in Seoul uh, in South Korea, which was valued at around $3 billion. US Wow. And uh, well, not all properties are inflation proof, right? Um, but we do see that even though the slowdown was quite broad based, some sectors like hotel, like living sectors, they performed relatively better. So share with us some key trends and uh, the relative resilience of the hotel and living sectors. Yeah, there's, there's definitely been a shift in investor preferences away from traditional sectors like office and retail uh, towards uh, living and accommodation focused ones. Um, I think especially for the residential sector, um, this is expected to be uh, relatively more resilient, uh, as, especially in terms of income flows during downturns. Uh, for example, if, if you look at what happened during the GFC and we look at the Japanese uh, rental apartment market, which is the only established uh, apartment market in Asia Pacific, um, during the GFC, uh, income or, or what you might call the yield on these apartments barely moved 
even throughout the entirety of the downturn. Yes, valuations did fall, but the income that these assets provided was very stable. And that's something that investors definitely value again today. Um, and I think if we look you know, across all the asset classes, uh, obviously the drivers behind each of the sectors are a little bit different. Hotel performance is more correlated with tourism numbers, residential with longer term population inflow. So both of these are maybe a bit more insulated from the shorter term business cycles. And if you contrast this with the office and retail and industrial sectors where their fortunes are a bit more dependent on the macroeconomy. Mm. So that may be one of the reasons why investors are shifting towards what they believe are more resilient or more recession-proof strategies. Ah, I see. Well, I want to take a look at the different geographies, Ben. Surprisingly, we are seeing some improvement in Hong Kong's office market. CBD office use were up some 10 BPS over the past year. Maybe help us understand why this is so. So uh, I think uh, for, for Hong Kong, the yields have gone up not because incomes have risen, but actually because prices have fallen. So it's unfortunately, it's, a, it's, it's more of a bad thing. Um, and that can generally be attributed to the fact that there's still not a lot of appetite for office investment in Hong Kong at the moment um, and even though prices have been falling investors are still not uh, not not biting so one good example uh, one very big deal in Hong Kong in the third quarter was the sale of the Golden Financial Center Golden being one of the developers that's currently under a lot of distress at the moment now if this deal had closed it would have been a bit of a boost for for a market that has generally not had a lot of good news but the problem is that deal also collapsed and this was the second time in two years so um, yeah on the whole you know it's generally quite a dive outlook for Hong Kong's office sector, but there's still investment happening in Hong Kong just for other uh, more niche sectors like data centers, co-living and self-storage, and a bit of regular industrial as well. Um, and most of these sectors are actually lower in absolute value than, than CBD offices, which is part of the reason that overall volumes uh, continue to remain low compared with around five years ago. Mm, right. And uh... Well, in the meantime, Ben, let's take a look at South Korea. When we chatted back about a couple of months ago, we talked about how South Korea is a market to watch, right, in the coming quarters. And right now, we saw South Korea's yield compression being the sharpest going into the rest of 2022. To what extent can we attribute this to the country's credit rules and South Korea's legal land default? Yeah, South Korea is definitely one of um, the more unique markets around the region. Um, I think the, the South Korean market is undergoing a liquidity crisis at the moment. And if, if, if you want to think of something similar, it's, it's kind of like what we went through during the GFC at a global scale, right? So here, liquidity, I'm referring to the amount of available cash flowing through the system. Uh, on one hand, what, what we had was a lot of investors over the past two years, they uh, or in fact, over the past five years, uh, were very highly leveraged, uh, meaning they took on a lot of debt in the run-up to this year. Um, the loan-to-value ratios could be as high as 70%. And obviously, when interest rates rise, then the burden of repay repayment for these uh, for, for, for interest rate costs becomes a lot heavier compared to, say, an investor that took a lower LTV of maybe 40%. And then, of, obviously, today, banks would no longer be willing to look at 70%. They would probably be lending... 50, you know, 55%. And so that presents a double whammy when refinancing deadlines hit. So I guess the question is, why, why not sell? Uh, the truth is investors are selling, but there's currently a lack of buyers in the market. Um, 
a, a, a lot of the, the the investors that used to be there are currently protecting you know their existing holdings so they're not as active in looking out for new acquisitions uh, in fact there's a lot on the market now and you know demand uh, can't keep up with supply but i think more importantly going back to the earlier point of leverage mm. leverage can be used to boost your returns when times are good but when times are bad then leverage will magnify your losses as well uh, mm. so for a lot of these investments uh, selling at a loss may mean you can't even return your investors their, their original principle and as a manager that's definitely something that you would try to avoid if you can right if you're just tuning in we are now speaking to benjamin chow head of asia real asset research at msci well in the meantime benjamin how does singapore fare compared with the rest of apec i understand that the deal volume in q3 was up some 30 percent bucking the regional trend isn't it so tell us more about that yeah singapore is uh still one of the bright sparks uh uh, across the region, obviously, uh, interest rates have gone up, uh, borrowing costs have gone up. So um, the market is slowing as well, similar to the rest of the region. But at least for this point in time, you know, it's still been holding up quite well. Um, in fact, I am quite surprised that the market hasn't shut down um, a lot more compared with how, you know, how much circumstances have changed. So uh, I think on our last call, I was a bit pessimistic about the smaller end of the market, meaning, you know, your smaller office and retail deals, uh, largely driven by private investors and individuals, maybe even some companies. Um, but actually, in the third quarter, Singapore was the only major market in Asia Pacific where the number of small deals hasn't evaporated. In fact, it was quite stable compared with uh, recent trends. So I I think to me what that reflects is that uh, a lot of the private capital that's targeting the Singapore market, uh, particularly for shop houses as well as strata offices, a lot of these investors, um, they, they, they must be acquiring buildings entirely with cash. So then the rise in borrowing costs doesn't bother them as much. But I think more importantly, you know, if, if, if we, we take a step back and look at the, the drop in deal volumes across the region, um, just, just because deal volumes have dropped doesn't necessarily mean that a market is, is doing poorly. Uh, in normal times, yes, it would mean that investors don't have faith in a particular sector or market. But I think in an inflection point like where we are now, it could just reflect that prices haven't adjusted quickly enough. So we would expect you know, some kind of a moderation mm. in activity in Singapore right. over the next uh, over the you know the, the foreseeable future. But that doesn't mean that Singapore real estate is not attractive. It just means that prices have to adjust to reflect the new circumstances in terms of the higher interest rates. And now to very, very quickly touch on China as well. In your report, you mentioned that capital flows into China have dwindled. Um, the 5 billion US dollars garnered this year represented just over half of the tally for the same period last year. So what is the outlook for China ahead with you know the government pouring more support into the country? Well, I think uh, a lot of uh, people who have invested in China would be quite happy to have seen um, the news. Uh, but for, from the perspective of, of a commercial real estate market watcher, I think you know these support measures should provide more positivity for the broader macroeconomy and also for the beleaguered residential sector. I think for the commercial market, there's still a lack of uh, there's still a lack of appetite at the moment. Um, for one, you know these measures will likely help investors hold on to their existing assets. Uh, there's a lot of distress uh, selling a lot of assets on the market, so the measures will help them to not have to sell all these assets at at, at, at huge discounts. Um, I don't think they will really provide the investors with a lot of impetus to make new acquisitions. And I think the other point to note also is that there has been a large chunk of appetite that used to come from overseas buyers, which has disappeared in recent years. So I think if you look uh, three to four years ago, back in 2018 to 
there were a lot of North American and European investors that flooded the Chinese real estate market. But today, a lot of these investors are, are, are holding back. They're a lot more uh, reticent about the Chinese market as a whole. Right. And uh, well, what is the overall outlook, Ben, for the commercial property market in APEC? And where do you think are the bright spots? I understand Australia and Japan, right? Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, Australia and Japan are, are still, you know, two of the biggest markets in APEC. There's a, there's a lot of investor demand um, across all the asset classes. And even though the numbers, you know, have been falling for Japan, I think it's probably one of the markets that looks most attractive at the moment, given that there's still a positive spread on borrowing costs. So you can still borrow at near zero uh, borrowing costs and you can still earn, you know, 2 to 3% um, on whatever uh, asset class you're investing in. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of the outlook for Asia Pacific as a whole, that will really depend on whether you're a buyer or you're an owner. So it's much brighter if you're a buyer because we all expect capital values to to adjust uh, in the next, you know, three, six, maybe 12 months. And given the decline in investor appetite, there should be less competition for assets in some of these markets as well. If you compare it with maybe a year ago where every asset that you bid on, you will be trumped by an overly optimistic investor. So there's more opportunity if you're, if you're an active investor in the market. But on the other hand, if you're an owner, or if you're a seller, then buckle up because the question is not if, but rather when and by how much values are expected to fall. Uh, just you know, some, some illustrative numbers, if cap rates moved by as much as interest rates did, and that's a big if, but if they did, then that would imply a magnitude of something like a 30 or 40% decline in values. So very, very hefty um, discounts. Um, certainly for, for the sectors that have more investor interests or where rents are still growing, then the strength of demand would prevent values by falling that much. Um, but for the rest of the real estate market, you know, if you are a seller or an owner, then certainly there will be a bit of pain in the months to come. Right. Thank you very much, Benjamin. That was Benjamin Chow, Head of Asia Real Assets Research at MSCI. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.